are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at lastwordonsports.com. It is Monday, August 7th, 2023. We're recording this, what, a little over, what, 36 hours, 40 hours uh, from completion of the U.S. Women's National Team's final game of the 2023 World Cup, in which they lost on penalties by a score of 5-4 to to Sweden after going scoreless through the 120 minutes here to talk about this, the women's world cup, and then briefly touch on Lee's cup. Uh, my good friend and my co-host Rachel Krieger, Rachel. Hello. Hello. Um, yes, it is shocking for a lot of people that the U S went out. Um, we're going to definitely be talking a lot about it because I know you and I weren't the most shocked, um, individuals on the planet, but still, um, a loss for the national team before the semifinals is is certainly it's rough it's mm-hmm. rough absolutely so i guess let's start off with the lineup rachel where you know i'll get into some criticism that i certainly have for uh Vlatko-Anonofsky, and not just for this game but on the whole of the tournament his approach to yeah, can we can we say man management when it comes to this do, do i say woman management rachel do i say player management i'm not sure what the uh, with the politically correct, how Vlatko-Anonofsky managed his players, how he managed his bench, and how he rotated is something that I had taken exception to prior in this tournament and something that I took exception to overall. But um, let's briefly go over the lineup really quickly, Rachel. Uh, a lot of people had it as a 4-2-3-1 rather than the usual 4-3-3. Sullivan and Sauna in a double pivot with Lindsey Horan up in front, uh, more... Um, retracted wingers more proper mid uh, wide midfielders rather than wingers in smith and rodman and then alex morgan still up top overall um and so i know rachel and then later on we saw obviously you had some veterans that come in in that came in in the form of Mewis came in and then also we finally saw kelly o'hara in this competition and so rachel i think as much as there was complaint and as much as there was public and then certainly private contemplation of vlatko's approach to man management and how the team was handling it i think the fact that we saw a change in approach was a net positive while rachel you and i were both not surprised overall in the result i think what caught me off guard or what i think is especially heartbreaking about this feat is i don't think there's any question through 90 minutes this is the best performance that the u.s put together and so i think it's incredibly cruel that you know i I don't have the actually i do have the stats in front of me or i can look this up rachel uh so it was uh 22 to 9 in terms of total shots um i have seen different outlets or different People that track the stats get credit Sweden with one shot on goal as opposed to no. Fatmob has it here at zero, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then it was 11. No, it was one shot on target and then 11 shots on target for the United States. Outpossessed Sweden, bunch of opportunities. Uh, Haran with another great look off of a header. More, Alex Morgan with a couple of half chances. I'd say that, Rachel, feel free to interrupt me if you disagree. Trini Rodman was more involved in the build-up play. That didn't necessarily lead to her getting opportunities on goal, but she created opportunities for others. And then that Sophia Smith opportunity, Rachel, is going to haunt myself and many other people in the part of Colorado for the better part of the next four years. Um, 
Rachel, your your thoughts on the lineup and the approach that the U.S. had given Sweden is the bogey team and how this maybe informed the the result and the way we'll look back on this team in this competition. Yeah, I think um, I, I think just the the believer in me wanted to see. You know, it's been a poor tournament from Alex Morgan. I think that's very fair to say after the. You know, the she plays very well for her club team, San Diego Wave. She was the Golden Boot winner last year. Um, obviously, she had that really good 2019 World Cup um, where she won the Golden Boot. Um, and yeah, I just think the believer in me was like, hey, maybe give, you know, give her a little bit of a break and maybe put in, you know, you don't have to put an 18-year-old up top for, for such a big game like this, but start Lynn Williams. Why not? Like, well, what do you... I mean, what do you have to lose at this point? Obviously, that saying is a little outdated, but um, um, yeah, I would have liked to see maybe like give give Alex Morgan. I get she's a co-captain. Give her a break. Give her a minute to rest. I mean, look at you know, look at what Nigeria did with with Asiato Shola. She didn't perform in that first game. Randy Waldrum um decided to uh, to sit her for for the game against um uh, Australia for the first half. She came in around the 65th minute or so, and she scores um, what would be, I think, the game-winning, or no, the 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 goal that put them ahead 2-1 two, two to one over Australia. So, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe giving Morgan a breather would have been a pretty good idea. I am still, like, I, I just have so many question marks to why have we not seen the partnership of Alana Cook? Like, is she secretly injured? Like, what is going on there? Like, why why did Vlatko Andonovsky think that Julie Ertz was just had to be in that center back role? Um, I would have pushed her up to the midfield for such a game like this. Why not put Alana Cook in that center back role? Um, she's clearly a a good defender. She um, you know, she and Gurma have played together before. Naomi Gurma has just been playing lights out with whoever she has been playing with. So, I mean, the distrust. I'm going to call it distrust because that's what it looks like. Um, the distrust of Alana Cook just seemed very far off. Um, I was a little skeptical when I saw um, that Emily Sonnet was getting put in the midfield because I, um, like a lot of other people, was like, what the heck is that? Why is this happening? But she was honestly, like, she was she did really good. I was really impressed um, with how Emily Sonnet has played because I, I, I think in the last, like, three years, she's been pretty lackadaisical. Um, on the national team and also for the Portland um, Thorns. Um, she's, you know, jumped around. Now she's with OL Reign. Um, Washington, she played for Washington, I think, for a little bit too. Um, but yeah, I, I was a little bit skeptical about that, but she was really, really solid. Um, yeah, Sophia Smith, Lindsay Horan, Trinity Rodman, Alex Morgan, just not not the type of performance you would expect from a U.S. women's national team front attacking. Um, you know, whatever that, that lineup may be, um, you are going to see those, those four attacking in some way, shape or form. Um, uh, I thought Haran had a decent world cup, not great by any means. Um, obviously Sophia Smith and Trinity Rodman had a job and that was to put goals in the back of the net, uh, as well as Morgan. And that didn't happen. Um, but this lineup, I think, you know, I was super bummed personally. I would have much preferred to have seen Ashley Sanchez over, uh, Emily Sonnet in that in that midfield role, but I think it's kind of a crime that we didn't see Sanchez at all in the World Cup. Um, but yeah, I, I just think there really wasn't too much that Vlaco could have done differently with this lineup. 
Um, but I, I would have put, I would have put either Savannah DeMello or Ashley Sanchez, uh, in the, in the midfield and give them a little bit of time. I want to talk about penalties, Rachel, but since we're on the topic, I guess we can go now to uh, what I have in our notes, listeners, as the Andonofsky coaching obituary. So to your point, Rachel, uh, Andonofsky was much maligned after the Netherlands game in which he made just one substitution, and that was Rose Lavelle in at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. And then I think it was just two subs against Portugal. I, I can't remember all these games bleed together, especially when I'm half asleep or falling asleep partway through the second half of a scoreless draw and waking up when I hear fans reacting to a Portugal shot going off the post. But in any case, um, no substitutes from the United States until the 60th minute in which Lynn Williams came on for Trinity Rodman. I think that was fair. And then in the 99th minute, so into stoppage time, you had Alex Morgan off for Megan Rapinoe. And then there were four substitutes in total, Rachel. I will count these because they're effectively in stoppage time of extra time. They're in second half extra time stoppage time. Um, so they, they were substitutes in order to actually prepare for penalties. I don't know that Kelly O'Hara coming on for Emily Fox or Christy Mewis coming on for Emily Sonnet were something great, big tactical thing that Andonofsky was trying to do in order to win the game in the 119th minute. So effectively two subs in terms of trying to go and win the game while it was still out there and available for you on the whole of the 120 minutes. And so I think the, I think the fundamental failure that we have, I think, I think there's two fundamental failures from Andonofsky in this competition and what I think will ultimately be his only time with the U.S. Women's National Team, Rachel. And the first one, I think, is the tactical approach to creating chances and then how they go about finishing those. I don't think it's Andonofsky's responsibility that um, that Trinity Rodman and Alex Morgan went goalless in this competition. I think those are considered failures. I think the I think the fact that Morgan and Rapino, most likely their final contributions ever in a Women's World Cup will be missed penalties in the round of 16 to see the U.S. go home quicker than they have in any other Women's World Cup is heartbreaking and horrible by, uh, you know, extremely cruel from the MLS, the MLS script writers, the uh, the Woso and the World Cup script writers and the soccer gods and everything. But that's unfortunately the reality. Uh, Alex Morgan did not have a good tournament. I don't know, Rachel, from the few minutes that Megan Rapinoe did get that we can. I, I think the fact that she got fewer minutes and the fact that she wasn't more involved and didn't look anything like the version of Pino that we've seen in the NWSL since the 2019 World Cup or the 2019 World Cup itself is an indication to me, Rachel, that um, that uh, she probably should have retired before this tournament. The Olympics probably should have been her pass, her last bit with the um, women's national team. I guess if she'd wanted, you know, effectively a testimonial competition in the She Believes Cup, I wouldn't have complained against that. But so, you know, the setting the team up in order to create chances with consistency and then have them finishing that, that was a problem. Um, that was not a problem against Vietnam. That was a problem in one half against the Netherlands, an entire game against Portugal. I would argue the first half of it, the part that Anonofsky could have had an impact on 22 shots and 19 on goal and Rachel you're gonna have to help me uh Zakira Musevic uh the Swedish goalkeeper Rachel's nodding so I think I got close enough to the pronunciation apologies to anyone from Sweden who's hearing this and I butchered um the name of your your countrywoman in uh pronouncing her name you know she was absolutely the man of the match she stole the game but 
teams like when you're the U.S. and when you're the two time defending World Cup champions and you claim to have all this depth and everything, you have to have solutions in game for solving them. Uh, whatever Andonovsky said at halftime and then bringing Roosevelt into the game against the Netherlands worked. There were no changes that really changed the dynamic of what was going on against Portugal. And Andonovsky, as I mentioned earlier, didn't make any other changes as well. I will say that on the whole of the I'll give them. The one game against Vietnam, I guess we'll throw out, Rachel. But, you know, you had one good half against the Netherlands. You had, I think, a fantastic 120 minutes from a performance standpoint, other than the goals against Sweden. Maybe Anonofsky worked his way into that. I think there'll be a lot of postmortems and questions asked on podcasts and long-term interviews why, from the players and the coaching staff, why it took three games to for them to turn into that version of themselves and why it still wasn't fully there in terms of the chance creation. I think Anonofsky's... Um, culpable in that but as i mentioned rachel i think there's other players that are culpable where i think Anonofsky's entirely responsible for is this entire this entire world cup cycle even going back to the olympics was about how well Anonofsky was going to bridge the gap between the generations and the decisions that he was going to make between elevating young players and then gradually removing out old players uh, regardless of the tone or where emotionally it was coming from from Carly Lloyd last week I think it was fair to say that Anonofsky moved on from her in time the fact that you had Kelly O'Hara on the bench and everything and available defensively given what she has meant to this national team and given how little she was involved makes me question in there was she secretly to your point Rachel about where there's some you know shadow injuries that we didn't know about or anything like did O'Hara really have it or was there another better option there given that you were playing Juilliards out of position Alex Morgan didn't look good enough Megan Rapino should have retired earlier as well are all these problems papered over by having a fully healthy and 90 minute fit Becky Sauron that's a really good hypothetical question that I don't have the answer to, but for all the bragging that you were going to do about the younger generation and how the players were ready and how you had 14 uh, girls who were on a World Cup squad for the first time potentially making their debut and all the depth options you had and about how that was a strength relative to the rest of the competition, relative to the other teams in here, even as those opposition have caught up in talent and in athleticism to the national team, the fact that in your two most important games you played, you made one substitution and then effectively um, two substitutions in the run of play. And then, Rachel, correct me if I'm wrong, in the Women's World Cup, is it a six sub and an extra window for going to extra time? Um, I think it's five. You think it's still five? Okay, so even then, Rachel, he doesn't use all five of his substitutes. So to your point, like the, like, like in, if they're doing... If they're do if the U.S. women's national team of U.S. soccer is doing exit interviews on the Women's World Cup, like is, you know, when they get to the end of it with Ashley Sanchez of like, Ashley, do you have any questions for us? Like she should have a million. Like, what did she have to do to get on the field? So something in here didn't really work or connect, Rachel. Maybe it turns out, you know, we will have more data points on this future group and everything. Ashley Sanchez's uh, U.S. women's national team career will get to be sussed out depending on future call-ups and what she does in a She Believes Cup, what she does in an Olympics next year, what she does in a Women's World Cup that potentially the United States would be hosting in 2027. We'll get a better understanding in the next four years, a proper data point on if it secretly was that this talent group, this generation was just worse than the previous two World Cup cycle generations we've had, or did Andonovsky fumble the bag or not handle the player management in ways that he probably should have, in ways that maybe Jill Ellis would have done a decent job of? I know you feel certain ways about her, Rachel, but um, 
this is going to be a really horrible analogy given that uh, given what's going on with Bruce Arena, but she was the she was the national team player manager atmosphere, elevate the right veterans, put the younger players in a position to succeed. And for the most part, it worked and it got success. I think we can agree on that, Rachel, regardless of some of the other nuances going on. But so I just you know, that's where. That's where my real concern is. Um, Rachel asked me after the U.S. Women's National Team time at the 2027 World Cup is over, and I will be able to tell you who is more at fault in terms of this World Cup failure. Was it the bridging of between the generations, or was it specifically that the coaching staff was just uh, poorly, was just did handle the problem statement for them poorly? Let's talk about penalties, Rachel. So I mentioned this earlier. So for the sake of completeness, listeners, if you haven't heard this from somebody else or you didn't watch it yourself, as I mentioned, um, Musevich, fantastic defensively and a bunch of really good opportunities for the players that you'd want. Alex Morgan with a couple of really good half chances, particularly in transition. Lindsay Horan with a great header off of a corner. Um, you know, she had a couple follow ups as well. Sophia Smith, you know, that open goal opportunity she have is going to haunt her as well. But even then you get to penalties, Rachel, and, you know, I would have thought that, you know, there was an opportunity for them to do something. And you had you went into one, two, three, four, five, six. You had seven rounds of the penalties and Sweden ends up winning five to four. And the three misses you had for the U.S., Rachel, were Megan Rapinoe, Sophia Smith and then Kelly O'Hara off the bar and then Sophia Smith and Megan Rapinoe both wide. So it's not even um, I, I realize I'm just I just sung Musevic's praises here Rachel she was fantastic in the 120 minutes obviously she did not make a save in the penalty shootout and then ultimately the super high breaking one was uh uh Lena Hertig who had her shot and Alyssa Nair gets a paw into it Rachel and then it kind of has some backspin and uh, less than a millimeter I don't know how accurate Hawkeye is meant to be and everything I trust the technology that we have in that place but you know just like the like the finest of margins that allowed a it was the finest of margins that allowed the U.S. to advance to the round of 16 off of that shot off the post by Portugal. And it was the finest of margins upon which they lost, whether it was uh, in the round of 16, whether it was on their poor finishing, a uh, fantastic goalkeeper on a night that they just weren't going to defeat, or Alyssa Nair's like, glove not being there a fraction of a second quicker in order to keep you know the you know minor, minute fabrics of the ball just onside the um, the line. But Rachel, anything that you want to say specifically about penalties or was that them tempting fate and really, you know, they have to round for 120 minutes and then they found out? Well, I, I think there's a couple things to address. Um, Matt, you know how I feel about Kelly O'Hara. So I will spare our listeners and just say if we are making, you, you know, obviously people who aren't attackers can take penalty kicks look at Alyssa Nair she I mean I harped on her a lot of the tournament and she played a really really good game and honestly rightfully so like I am gonna back myself up here because she has been poor for her club team this year that is very fair to say she um hasn't been the most convincing in net uh during the group stage games but she knew the task at hand against Sweden and she really you know a, a switch just went off and that was really good to see um, from Nahir. I hope she I hope she takes it to her club team um as well. But there are there are other players who can take who are much more suited to take penalty kicks. I understand the idea of get some veterans in there who have who have taken penalty kicks before or who have experience on this big stage. Like I understand that. But at the same time, I would much rather give the ball 
to someone like Lynn Williams or someone like Ashley Sanchez or Savannah DeMello or Ashley, uh, I already said Ashley Sanchez. Um, but I cannot stress enough how mad I am that we did not see Ashley Sanchez in this tournament. Um, Sophia Smith, that's just a, that's just a tough miss. Um, I don't think she was being too cheeky or anything with it. I just think that she was aiming, um, for a certain spot and she didn't quite get it. Um, Megan Rapino, I'm, I'm sick and tired of, of people bringing up the fact that there is that, that still of her walking away and, and she's smiling and it's nothing malicious. I mean, she said it afterwards post game, like it's a cruel joke. There were, uh, as you know, with, Megan Rapino, there were a lot more expl- expletives in that sentence, but um, she pretty much just said, this is a cruel joke. I mean, like she said, I basically, I don't remember the last time I missed a penalty. And then out of all of the times to miss a penalty, I miss a penalty. Um, Christy Mewis, it's kind of hard to believe that her first touch of the game was her making the penalty. <laughs> um, that's, that's a huge disservice. I-, I think just to her. And honestly, to me, it's just a slap in the face to, you know, bring in a player that late in the game. Um, good for Haran, good for Sullivan for for making their their kicks. I was very shocked to see Andy Sullivan be the first one to go up to take her kick. Um, but glad she converted. Um can't say enough about uh, about Sweden. And then of course, Matt, we have to talk about Lena Hertig and and the the millimeter goal. I mean, it's crazy because, you know, think back to not even that long ago, like 2015, 2011. Um, I don't remember. I think VAR was in the World Cup in 2019, but I would have, I don't, was it? Yeah. Oh, that was like in the early stages of VAR, but like not even, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, that, that would have been counted as a goal because VAR wasn't a thing in 2015 and 20, uh, in 2011. So it's, I appreciate the accuracy, um, for the game, of course, but that is just like, I mean, you literally can't even fit like the width of my fingernail from how close the goal was, the ball was to the line. Um, just unfortunate. I give Alyssa Nair a lot of credit for attempting to block it and then going back and scrambling to try to swat it out of net. Um, but just too little, too late for the United States and uh, Sweden, a very deserving side to go through. That wasn't their best performance after a really, really good group stage. But the United States, you know, despite having a lackluster um, group stage performance, they're still and uh, our, our friend Jonathan Tannenwall, the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, posted a tweet where Magdalena Eriksson and I think it was Rolfo from Sweden who had said, like, I don't understand how people are dissing the U.S. They literally set the standard for women's soccer and they are going to come back and then they're going to grow that standard even more. So clearly a lot of respect from the Sweden team um, to the United States is their second time knocking them out of a major tournament um, and, and all credit to Sweden. It was a really entertaining game. It was um, a good finish from the Swedes on penalties. I think Jamaica, or not Jamaica, I'm sorry, Japan is going to give them a, a little run for their money. Um, they're kind of becoming the new favorites in this tournament. But yeah, I mean, it's it sucks that the U.S. went out on their best performed match. Um, just unfortunate. But, you know, it, it's time to go back to the drawing board, whether that means finding a new coach um, and then and picking up the pieces. It starts with, you know, the U.S. has already qualified for the Olympics, right? So it's with preparing for the Olympics um, and really just taking your time with it, filtering some of these players out. Like 
Alex Morgan said she's not retiring. Good. I don't think Alex Morgan needs to retire. But it's time Kelly O'Hara does not need to be on this national team. Give the start, the reins of the goalkeeper position to Casey. Um, why did I just forget her last name? What is the goal, backup goalkeeper's last name? <laughs> I just completely forgot. Casey Murphy um, from the North Carolina Courage. Give the give the reins to her. Um, let the kids play, Matt. It's working for the U.S. men's national team. Maybe it'll work for the U.S. women's national team. Off of that, Rachel, I then have to make the joke that I made on, on Sunday morning, uh, which was you've got uh, a disappointing performance and barely limping into second place coming out of the group. You've got a heartbreaking defeat and performance in the round of 16. You got former and potentially current players beefing with the Federation, if not the head coach, and you've got everybody on Twitter absolutely upset. The U.S. women's national team has become the United States men's national team. Um, to your point, Rachel, about the performance as well, I look this up. This is according to Footy Stat listeners. Spot Mob unfortunately doesn't have XG on uh, for this particular game. Uh, Rachel, do you want to guess what the XG through 120 minutes was for both teams? I'm really not good with XG numbers because it's so it's always so small and I never know where the point goes. But I'm gonna I'm just gonna take a wild guess. Um, one point five for Sweden, one point two for the U.S. You are way off, Rachel. The United States women's national team created two point six four expected goals. So on that, on average, they are scoring three goals more often than they score two goals Rachel so there's that component um and then or they would have been more likely to have scored that and then Sweden with a poultry 0.67 so you know Rachel you play this you play this game 10 more times and I think you have uh you play the 120 minutes 10 more times I think you have the U.S. win outright in eight of those I think in maybe one of those you have Sweden nicking at one nil and it being a less convincing performance than they did yesterday morning. And I think there's probably another one of those 10 that probably ends up going to penalties, whether it's one, one, two, two or nil, nil in that. And so I think it's the to your point, Rachel, where I think it's incredibly heartbreaking. Can't say this enough listeners. This was the best performance the United States put out. It was the most different lineup that Vlatko Andonovsky put out from the start of the game, which I think reflected that as well. And in terms of chance creation, it was fantastic. Rachel, you've been watching more of these games than I have. I don't know off the top of my head from watching all the highlights and the replays and the recordings that I have seen a better single game goalkeeper performance in this competition. So if you're talking about just like these simple, what is the what did it take for the U.S. to finally lose? It took them, again, being historically bad at finishing, as they have been outside of Sophia Smith in this competition. It took possibly the goalkeeping performance of the Women's World Cup by Musevic in that. And it took heartbreaking, completely unexpected, you know, Megan Rapino missing a penalty and then could not remember the last time she missed a competitive penalty. And then on top of all of that, a fantastic PK saved by Alyssa Nair and then the rebound deflecting backwards and it being a millimeter if that difference between going over the line and technically not counting and the U.S. surviving on in penalties. But at the same time, Rachel, I don't know that on the whole of the four games you could say that this team deserved to be into the next round. I think where it's especially disappointing is you would have thought like if they had come out, Rachel, and let's say they finish according to the XG where they win this game 2-0, 3-0, um, 
Granted, I have to assume one of those expected goals, Rachel, is coming in the 90 minutes. So then I, I did not look to see how it was divided between the 90 and the 120. I have to imagine that Sophia Smith opportunity was a pretty large opportunity. So let's say let's say two nil through the 90 minutes, Rachel. I'll let you pick which one of the three attackers that you have scoring. And let's say Haran gets that header as well. And then comfortable defensive performance. They see it out. Vladko makes a couple substitutions. Maybe in stoppage time, might if we finally see um, Ashley Sanchez, you know, get to play out the final 30 seconds of that game. Rachel is covering her hands and just disappointment and crying face listeners. Um, but so then then you think, Rachel, OK, the attackers feel better and everything. If it's Trini Rodman or Alex Morgan scoring one of those other two goals, they breathe a huge sigh of relief. They're feeling great going into the quarterfinals. You get Rose Lavelle back. She's had another couple days to help whatever's going on with her knee or her quad get healthy. She obviously didn't play in that game. Maybe you're feeling much better about the midfield. Maybe Vlaco looks at that and says, OK, I found our shape. Let's now fit in the pieces that we have going with that. Like the we were millimeters away, Rachel, from the U.S. having I think if England ends up winning the World Cup, what they probably had against South Africa earlier today of having their big scare, overcoming that, figuring out some solutions when they weren't at their best or things weren't going their way, and then putting towards towards being extremely competitive. And that's the thing that's the most heartbreaking thing for me, Rachel, is that regardless of all the flaws this team has, how I don't how I'm out on Blocko Andonovsky, I was before this game. And everything. I, I don't think there was any scenario short of them winning every single game, Rachel, in this competition that Blocko was coming back for the next World Cup cycle or at least beyond the Olympics. And so, like the, we were so close to theirs to it being back on. And so, and we've seen the US, they are at their best sometimes when they're completely doubted and they figured stuff out. They've had close calls in other women's World Cups. There was a point in that second half, Rachel, against France in the quarterfinal, the semifinal. I couldn't remember which. And I, when I was like, okay, like France could win this. And the U.S. could be out um, before they get to the before they get to the final. And so there's just a bunch of what ifs. And I'm not going to spend any more time on it than we already have. Rachel, let's talk about legacy and reputation. I think I think we can both agree Vlatko is not back. But the three main veterans you have, Rachel, who already had strongly established their uh, bona fides when it comes to the history of the U.S. WNT Alex Morgan, Megan Rapinoe, Kelly O'Hara. I have a hard time seeing any of them, Rachel, make it to the next World Cup in four years' time. What will this failure mean for their legacy? Does it impact it at all for you? Um, I think that, I think no matter what, it, it's going to be a disappointment, right? But at the same time, the re- I think a lot of people should be aware that the rest of the world is catching up. Uh, and this is the most competitive World Cup that we have ever seen. Um, and we've said that every year, and that's a good thing. That means that the game is growing, and that means that um, that quality is is just rising through the ranks. Um, I think each player still has a big legacy. I mean, Megan Rapinoe, on and off the field, right? She's the most outspoken player, but she is also very careful with her words. Um, Megan Rapinoe has inspired just so many um young girls, young boys alike, um, to be true to yourself, always like fight for what's right. And, um, also blast home goals in a world cup and do that awesome pose that she did where she just had, um, her arms extended. Everyone's going to remember 2019 pink haired Megan Rapinoe. Um, I think Kelly O'Hara, she'll always be remembered, um, for, for that brilliant goal that she had against Germany in the, in the 2015 world cup in the semifinals. Um, I, I personally don't see the legacy for her besides that. 
She's been too injured for my liking. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, and then for Alex Morgan, listen, I think she's one of the best players um, to put on the Stars and Stripes, to put on um, the U.S. Soccer Crest. Um, she doesn't have the goals that Wambach has, and she doesn't have the goals that, um, you know, that Sinclair has and Marta. Um, but on her own, she has had just individual moments of brilliance. Young Alex Morgan, 2012 Olympics, of course, nobody can forget her performance there. 2011 World Cup. I mean, she is definitely a player that has left her mark um, on this team. And she hasn't always performed at her best for club, but she has always managed to turn it up for country no matter what. Messi played in five World Cups, Rachel, and he only won one of them. And I think you could argue he was only really good in two of them, potentially. And we do not, when we look back in the in history, Rachel, we will not malign Messi for those four failures as much as we will praise him for the one success. I think the same thing would be said for Pele's contributions to the Brazil national team. I think the same thing would be said even for the way that things ended in 1990 in Italy and then the drug controversy that Maradona had in 1994 that does not undo what he did in Mexico that does not undo what he did for Argentina so regardless of this failure and the significance of the blame pie that Kelly O'Hara and Megan Rapino outstaying their welcome and using their veteran incumbency as a means to benefit them at the net detriment of the team I don't think that undoes what they've done on and off the field going back to 2019, going back to 2015. I don't think it undoes the statistical significance and the longevity that we've seen from Alex Morgan and what she's represented to the U.S. Women's National Team. Like the first thing, anytime any any of these players will get announced, um, if they do anything in media, it will always be, you know, like the Rachel, when you hear, um, I'm not sure if there's a Pirates person, for example, but I know when the Dodgers would always have someone on color commentary with Finn Scully, he would always refer to them if they were a Hall of Famer, if they were an all-star or former Dodger, he would address them as such. When Sandy Koufax or Don Drysdale were interviewed in the midst of the game, it was always Hall of Famer Sandy Koufax. And so like the anytime Megan Rapinoe walks into a, into a room it is World Cup champion and it is uh, World Cup player of the 2019 Women's World Cup, Megan Rapinoe. And that will always be perceived. This is a in the context of their statistical careers and to the extent that soccer players would have a resume for this. This will be a footnote in the bottom third of that one page resume, if that. And so I don't think that takes away from it. But certainly, yes, it is a disappointment. And the fact that they had an opportunity, they had an opportunity to immortalize themselves, Rachel. Like if there's a in, in the if there was a, a hall of justice that you have in like justice league or in the avengers where they have statues of like the founding members and the ones who've sacrificed themselves to everything and all of that like megan rapino comes off the bench to score the winner in a world cup final to make it three world cups in a row and everything like at that point like megan rapino you have surpassed abby wambach you have surpassed carly lloyd you have like there was an opportunity here for I think all of them to cement their legacy above like what was going to be even statistically possible like beyond that you know when people talk about LeBron versus Michael Jordan and you say Jordan six rings and six and oh in the finals and everything there was a chance for them to do something that probably wasn't going to get done in the next hundred years that opportunity was lost that no failure that they were going to have in 
Australia and in New Zealand was going to undo the spectacular success and how much they moved the game forward locally, domestically, from a progressive standpoint and from an international standpoint from what they did in 2019. Um, that being said, I think Vlatko Andonovsky might have found his level in just being a very good NWSL coach. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that Megan Rapinoe's only won two World Cups. Messi's only won one of them, Rachel, and he doesn't seem too upset about that. Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't have any, and uh, that's probably living rent-free in his head right now. Cristiano, follow us on Twitter so we can troll you in DMs, please. Um, so, <clears throat> Rachel, anything else that we want to say about the... Um, uh, about the, the Women's World Cup from a U.S. perspective, or do we want to look a- ahead at the rest of the tournament? Let's look ahead at this very, very fun bracket. <laughs> yeah, so I should say, again, listeners, we're recording on the evening of Monday, August 7th. By the time you listen to this, I don't know. Let me check the... I don't know if Netherlands... Oh, the other games aren't until the 10th and the 11th and then the 12th. Okay, so... Uh, th- this will not change by the time you've heard us unless you're listening to us like a week late. So, Rachel, we have or no, I'm lying. There's games. Uh, there's games this evening. France is playing Morocco and Colombia is playing Jamaica. So we don't yet know who's going to win those, Rachel. But we know on one side of the bracket booked for the quarterfinal, we have Australia on one side and England on the other. And we have the quarterfinals on the other two sides, Spain versus the Netherlands. And then the aforementioned Sweden against japan in this one rachel i think i'm at this point pending i I don't think morocco would be deserved in making a semi-final so i'm gonna say i I think france beats morocco hopefully on the long list of predictions that i've had on this podcast listeners that age poorly after 12 hours hopefully this prediction ages better than the milk in my fridge but so i think pending that rachel I, i feel pretty confident any team left is certainly of quality. They have been tested on some level. And I think somewhere in there, there's a narrative behind them being a deserving champion. I'm going to go ahead and completely contradict what I said earlier in this one, Rachel. I think England will get through to the final. I think Japan will get through to the final. And I think Japan will beat England. I think Japan's been the best team so far. I think they're the ones with the least flaws, the least significant flaw that is exploitable. I think England effed around and almost found out like the U.S. did against Nigeria. I think everybody else is fallible or has other issues. Uh, Japan is back to their old selves in terms of their quality and playing as a team and playing as a collective. And we've seen that can be extremely effective when it comes to the Women's World Cup. What say you, Rachel Krieger? I'm disgusted that you don't have Jamaica winning this whole thing. Where is your, <laughs> where is your, where's your loyalty to CONCACAF and to the chaos? No, I am so mad that Colombia and Jamaica got put um, against each other because I mean, Linda Casado, Bunny Shaw, how dare the FIFA Women's World Cup writers make me pick between those two? Just appalling. Um, yeah, I think I think England, um, I think England, France is a really good shout um, for for the semifinals on that side of the bracket. I'm not rolling Australia out completely. They haven't been the greatest team. But I do really like what Haley Razzo has been doing for the team. Caitlin Ford has been unstoppable. There was a point in the Denmark game this morning where um, she had the ball like by like the corner flag and um, Thompson from Denmark was on her and she just put her right on her butt. I mean, it was just gorgeous the way that she just played through her and, and so, so aggressive. I mean, Australia played really well. And to have 75,000 plus fans continuously packing the stadium, 
um, for you has, is really, really special. Um, so, I mean, Australia, they play it, uh, in Brisbane against the winner of France and Morocco, I think. I don't know. I'm, I'd say that that'd be a game that would go to penalties if it's against France. Um, yeah, I think go, picking England to go to the final is a really good shout. Um, I love the chaos that is Herr Renard, and I would love to see him go to the final as well. Um, so I would honestly, I'd be happy with, with either of those picks. Um, yeah, upset to see, uh, Nigeria go out. I woke up at 3.30 this morning to watch that game. Gotta support, um, hashtag my head coach, Randy Waldrum. Um, selfishly, I am glad to say we are getting him back at Pitt just for the start of the season. Um, but a, a really great job that, that he did. And just with all of the stuff going on with the NFF, um, just, just really commendable stuff there. And then the other side of the bracket is really what intrigues me because Spain had five goals, yes, but they had that awful own goal against Switzerland. I mean, ugh, I cannot stop watching it. It's so bad. And honestly, everyone counted the Netherlands out because of their injuries. And of course, Vivian Miedema is one of the best players in the world and not having her at the World Cup is complete and utter buns. Um, but they've actually been playing really, really good soccer. Um, South Africa gave them a really nice test. Um, but Netherlands was able to power through. I honestly, I picked Spain from the beginning to win this whole thing, but I would not be surprised if the Netherlands got um, an upset win there. Um, and the Japan and Sweden, honestly, Matt, I think it's going to be the game of the tournament. Um, I, I think that's just going to be such a really solid game with a well-rested Japanese side, won 3-1 comfortably against Norway. Sweden having to play with a little bit of extra heavy legs. Um but still, two really, really solid t- uh, teams with not a lot of history with each other. So um, I'm really excited for that matchup. But if I had to predict the semifinals right now for that side of the bracket, I'm going to go with my gut and say Spain, Japan, and then Spain. I'm going to continue to ride with my pick, goes to the final, and why not? Spain Spain beats France for the World Cup title. That's what I'm going to go with for the rest of the way as I'm seeing the bracket. Um, and will more than likely be wrong because, Matt, you're talking to the person who said that Haiti was going to go to the round of 16 and upset Australia in the round of 16. And clearly that did not happen. Um, alas. That's that's not looking. I'm, I'm not feeling good about that prediction, Rachel, though. I am glad that Sam Kerr is back with uh, the Matildas and actually playing. I think the regardless of how far Australia would have gone, um, I think it would have been it, it would have been like a story of the century from a Woso standpoint, had they won the women's world cup without Sam Kerr, but to, to go to have New Zealand crash out heartbreakingly the way that they did in the group stage and have Australia not have any Sam Kerr time would have been extremely disappointing from a dual host perspective there. Um, another thing that I want to mention, Rachel, uh, as we look ahead, obviously there's the games tonight. We won't talk about those. You'll probably be listening to us after those are over. But I mean, Rachel, you've got the Spain versus Netherlands, which was supposed to be that U.S. quarterfinal matchup, which is at 9 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday the 10th. But then all the other I'm going to be honest, Rachel, after that game, I'm not sure there's another game that I'm watching live the rest of the competition. You know, they're at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 4.30 for me. All those times are mountain in case you were wondering, listeners, I'm in Denver, Colorado. And so this tournament's been rough enough. 
on my sleep schedule with the U.S. and some of the other marquee games that I've wanted to look at, Rachel, that I'm not sure, you know, I'll, I'll probably DVR the final if the final ends up being, you know, a classic in the way that Argentina versus France was in the Men's World Cup this past fall, this past December, then, um, you know, I think I would rewatch that in its entirety, but I'm not sure, um, with the exception of that Netherlands-Spain game, I'm not sure there's another game I'm watching more than the seven-minute highlights if they're not something that significant um, you know, comes out of them that I think is worth me um, watching it in its entirety, in addition to listen to the myriad of podcasts that I'm consuming that are covering it on a daily basis. And I think that's the unfortunate, I think as good as this is going to be for the game down under Rachel and how positive it's been for the Matildas in ways in which I think it'll affect a generation in a positive way for uh, the Kiwis, despite um, them going out in the group stage and everything this was not the ideal tournament in terms of having in terms of time zone overlap in terms of picking kickoff times that were remotely viable in the local market and then also viable for the nations that you had elsewhere as well and so that's a that's a disappointment on top of the fact that you know the u.s fumbling the bag and not winning the group meant that that we couldn't cash in with two 9 p.m eastern kickoffs for the u.s's first two games in the knockout stage so I'm not sure, Rachel, that I'm covering much for last word for the Women's World Cup the rest of the way, with the exception of maybe a big story that isn't time dependent in terms of watching the games live. Um, and I'm not sure there's another game that I'm watching live after that one quarterfinal between Spain and the Dutch, um, which is disappointing. Uh, let's touch on one more thing. Well, so, Rachel, before we move on to Leagues Cup and a few other things we want to talk about tonight here, listeners. Rachel, what does this mean for... Um, so I'll, I'll start with you, Rachel. I think we both agree Vlatko should not return. Um, any guesses whatsoever um in terms of coaches in the NWSL, somebody who's available um potentially a foreign head coach that you think would be viable candidates to take over this women's national team program well honestly a lot of people are saying laura harvey she was one of the ones who was in contention um against lako andonofsky for on the national team job I, I personally could not see her taking a job in the middle of the NWSL season, especially with her ties to Rapino and it being Rapino's last season. Um, and she has said, I'm completely dedicated to the rain. Um, I, I think it could be a similar situation to the Anthony Hudson thing where, you know, that it's in the middle of the, the summer, um, have an interim coach to get them through maybe a couple friendlies. Um, so they can do the interview process, but honestly, a lot of people are saying throw money at Serena Vigman. Honestly, the answer I think, in my opinion, is just is right in the NWSL. Casey Stoney. Or if you don't want to go Casey Stoney, this may be a stretch. She is Canadian, so there is a bit of the rivalry there, but she was an absolute like monster coaching Tigress in Liga Emeki's Femenil. And I know Tigress is such a, a, a stout and just an incredible team with amazing players and they don't ever seem to lose, right? Um, but Carmelina Moscato did really, really well in, in the two seasons that she had in Liga Emeki's Femenil. I think she is another really, really, really good shout um, for the for the U.S. national team job. Um, and I think I think that's probably it. I, I realistically could not see Serena Vigman going uh, to the U.S. I think she's got a pretty darn good deal with England right now. Um, Pia Soonhog, I wouldn't want to bring her back. I mean, Brazil didn't make the round of 16. So, um, yeah, I would say Harvey is a, is a good choice. Casey Stoney, 
Um, and then um, who did I just say? Carmelina Moscato. I think the, the next question then is, Rachel, I, I think we have to agree. We'll see what other retirements end up coming out of this and everything. Um, the U.S. women's next games they have are in the September international window in which they're doing a two-leg friendly series with South Africa. Those games will be at TQL Stadium in Cincinnati and then at Soldier Field in Chicago. I have to imagine, Rachel, regardless of who the head coach is at that time, that Megan Rapino will get a you know a send-off testimonial, some kind of thing that's going on there. I think it's a valid question. What other players announce their retirement? You know, does Becky Sauerbrunn, given her injury and everything, does she want to come back? But I mean, you know, if I'm being honest, Rachel, kind of, I know this is going to be a weird thing to say, given I'm asking the women to follow what the men's do. And obviously the men have had nowhere near the success over the course of the entire history of the program compared to what the U.S. women have accomplished in the last 10, 12 years. But, you know, like Rachel, I would almost have like the like an NWSL plus a few of the players that have broken on uh, through internationally, I would almost have like the, like I, I would call up the kids for the She Believes Cup. Like if you want to bring in one or two veterans in order to, you know, bring in Lindsey Horan, um, if Mallory Swanson's coming back from recovery and needs games from a national team standpoint. But like other than that, like half the squad should be 25 or other. There should be Mia official. Bring in me official. If her going to Chelsea isn't enough to get her on the U.S. national team radar, I don't know what is. That is my only shout, and that is the hill I will die on. Yeah, but so so to your point, uh, you know, we, we've said, Rachel, like there's a bunch of youth depths that we have and everything. Oh, what's the the teenager from Angel City? Murphy? Why can't I remember her name? It didn't help that she didn't play Um, in this. Alyssa up. Thompson? Alyssa Thompson, does that sound right? Yes, Alyssa Thompson. Like she should be getting minutes in the next like let's figure out what we have in terms of the depth option and if we crash out of the she believes cup rachel if we crash out of um you know if a bunch of those kids then also don't show up in opportunities that are given to them for the olympics in a year's time and everything then i think we have somewhat of an answer that this generation maybe isn't as good as what their predecessors were but let's find out what we've got let's give opportunities to young players and let's make them earn it and i think we're done i think after this failure in in australia i think we are done with the players riding on the coattails of what they've done since 2019 and prior to that as well i think at this point it has to be a pure meritocracy in terms of earning it and someone coming in being potentially injury prone and being limited to being a 30 minute or less sub like what megan rapino does i don't know that that's enough to earn a roster spot on a 23 player roster for a major competition like an olympics or uh like a CONCACAFW world cup qualification or a i mean you know if you know wants to come back for a she believes cup and get you know one clap around um if they play in seattle rachel i wouldn't complain about that but yeah other than that i think we're done with that um it's big it's scary uh the u.s soccer federation has a big decision to make as far as who the head coach is going to be for the women's national team it's not like they've bottled up or have any controversies or taken way too long in any of those so i have full belief in um, that entire squad and their ability to appoint the right head coach, even though it takes a long time. I'm being ironic. This is sarcasm in case you weren't 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 wondering, listeners. I'm fully expecting U.S. soccer to fumble the bag here. Absolutely. That being said, Rachel, I still have belief in this young generation. I just believe they need to be given an opportunity. And I don't see why not to give them an opportunity between now and the Olympics, given the state of where we're at and what's being filtered out in terms of the veterans who are obviously exiting from their time as national team 
players. I think that does it for us, Rachel, as far as all things. Oh, I guess uh, we already, I, I have Japan winning it. Rachel, did you, I can't remember, did you give your prediction for the final España. and the winner? España, viva España. All right, there we go. Um, so on that note, listeners, we'll get touched on Leaks Cup. But first, I want to give a special shout out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 formula is perfect for daily nutrition and gut health support. AG1 solves two of the most important health needs, the nutrition that your body needs on a daily basis and building the foundation for long-term gut health. Together, they feel your whole body and can impact everything from sleep to digestion to energy to mood to immunity to the health of your hair, skin, and nails. Simply follow the link in the show notes description of this podcast and get started today with AG1. Thank you to Athletic Greens for joining us on this uh, uh for sponsoring this podcast rachel you just messaged me something hurt gomez said on twitter dare i ask yeah it just um to, to your point about this is actually something that somebody had pulled in a response to to him and you you talking about the younger generation made me think about this um th- this person their username is um at underscore abu Q-U-S-A-Y. Um, Adele is their name. Um, It says, this is the symptom of the U.S. Women's National Team, if you really wanted to delve into the U.S. blind eye. In 2022, they were third, the U-20s were third in their group, and the U-2017s were uh, knocked out in the quarterfinals of their World Cup. 2018, the U-17s were fourth in their group. 2018, U-20s were third in their group. Again, third, fourth, did not qualify in 2014 U.S. Um, under-17s. KO in the quarterfinals, third in the group. And then the last time uh, a youth national team was was champion, U-20s um, in, in 2012. So, again, we had this conversation five, five, six years ago when the U.S. men didn't qualify about, okay, well, we need to look at the youth system that conversation needs to happen as well for the the women's national team as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, we've been writing on, you know, how Megan Rapinoe has been a significant portion. She's taken up. She has occupied a space because no one younger has usurped her in the last four years, Rachel. And really, she's been a mainstay for the past 12 years. And that speaks to. So if you're talking about Rachel between the U20s and the U17 national team program, we haven't won a championship since 2012. That was 11 years ago. And we have not made a semifinal in uh, and that's the last time we made a semifinal as well. And realistically, and there's been plenty of times in which you've had an entire generation. If we're talking about the 2016 U17s having a lot of overlap with the 2018 U20s, where we've had stretches where an entire generation at the youth level hasn't gotten out of the group of a, um, I assume, Rachel, this is Women's Youth World Cup, or is this some other competition? Okay. Yeah. So um, there was a really good point, Rachel, that I didn't think about it a whole lot when I believe this was Lindsay Horan talking about the difference between playing in Europe at Lyon to a lesser extent her in, in her younger time at PSG about the difference between the European game or the European player coming up today compared to where the U.S. is still at. And she commented on how, yes, we rely on pace and athleticism and physical attributes for the U.S. women's national team. I think that was especially true in 2015. I think less so, but still their main 
net positive delta in terms of where they had an advantage over opposition in 2019. And then her commenting on its first touch, its possession, it's what you're doing with the ball, it's your ability to control that. And if you look at it, Rachel, in the games where the U.S. struggled, they were either against an opponent that was better than them at keeping the ball. So if I look at, say, the Netherlands, for example, where the U.S. was... um where the U.S. has trouble keeping it, or they've matched, they've met an opponent that was able to keep up with them from a physical standpoint. I'd say Portugal was very much, was very athletic. I would not say they were skilled or they were tactically adept, Rachel. And I'd say that's still been the hallmark of what Sweden's been able to do. Um, they come up with countermeasures to counteract the tactics and then rely on their athleticism in order to keep up, much to the chagrin of disgruntled Hope Solo in, uh, you know, grumpy post-game comments as well. And so, to, to your point, Rachel, about this being the most competitive Women's World Cup that we've ever seen, like the, like the talent gap listeners has caught up. The advantage that the U.S. had by the fact that we had thousands of girls playing college soccer all across the country because of Title IX, that advantage is going away as the domestic leagues around the world catch up, as they have an academy system, as they send players to the NWSL, to the Super League, to uh, Liga Femenil to all of these other leagues and everything, they're able, they're catching up in that regard. We no longer have the, we no longer necessarily have a superior um, skills or tactical or experience advantage that we're able to weigh against oppositions. And they're able to, and they're increasingly catching up to us as far as the physical attributes while simultaneously playing a style of play that is conducive to good flowing, technical attacking soccer. And that plays into our weaknesses at the same time that those teams and those federations have caught up to the U.S. in terms of where our main area of strength and our main um, advantage is at in this regard. Um, Rachel, it was always going to be a big fall. Dynasties fall and two-time defending World Cup champions fall the hardest. Absolutely. This sucks right now. But yeah, there's there's work to be done. I still think this is a really good group of players. I still think fully healthy. This is a team that would have been considered far and away the favorites i think this i think the last three games between uh the netherlands portugal and sweden probably look different if we have a fully healthy and fit and scoring mallory swanson certainly if becky sauerbrunn is in that position but that's the way um soccer goes unfortunately and we've got to eat this l take this l on the way out and uh there's four years in order to correct it and hopefully rachel that's done just in time for the u.s to host a women's world cup on u.s soil but uh, let's get into Leagues Cup, Rachel. We'll talk about this briefly because obviously we talked, what, just a couple days ago. Um, first of all, Rachel, I will throw it to you. Uh, did you see the absolute Classico that FC Dallas and Inter Miami had the other day and what Lionel Messi was again able to do in stoppage time on a set piece? Um, I only saw Messi's goal, I have to admit. Um, I've been enamored with the Women's World Cup. Haven't been watching too much Leagues Cup. But, I mean, Messi, I, I think I saw today... He's already in, what, four games? Six goals? Four games? The uh, fourth all-time leading goal scorer for Inter Miami. Yes. I know. It's it's insane. I think it's I think it's five and four, Rachel, because they had the two group stage games. They had the um, round of 32 match that they had at home against Orlando, and then this one as well. So it's, it's either five or six. I don't know. I, so uh, Messi has been fantastic, Rachel. The midfield is still kind of a mess. And when you are all out of attack with a bunch of guys in their mid to late 30s, you don't have a lot of defense. And 
FC Dallas was able to come at them as well. But I think as long as they've got Messi, I think they've got a chance, Rachel. And um, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt fairly or unfairly when it comes to fouls earned and set piece opportunities and everything. They won it out on penalties. It was a close call for them. But, you know, if especially if they're going back home for some of these games, I wouldn't be betting against them. We are currently listeners recording in the midst of. Queretaro being up 1-0 on uh, Jamie Rook's New England Revolution. So we'll see what goes on in that, Rachel. But I'll just um, I'll go through the other um, matches that we've seen so far. Um, we had the... Um, so we're done with the round of 32, folks. Uh, yesterday, Sunday night, would have been uh, Inter-Miami versus FC Dallas, the first round of 16 game. Then we've got Charlotte versus Houston. Um, and then on Tuesday, Toluca, Minnesota. You've got Philly versus New York Red Bulls. Uh, you've got Club America versus Nashville. That's probably my game to watch so far. Ooh, I, I retract that statement, Rachel. We have LAFC versus Salt Lake. And then the other um, round of 16 that we have at Shell Energy Stadium. I believe that is, um, where is Shell Energy Stadium? Let's find out where that is, Rachel. Oh, it's home of the Houston Dynamo. I guess uh, I guess BBVA Compass Stadium is no more in that regard. In which, Rachel, we have a Monterrey Derby, Tigres versus Monterrey. Going to be absolutely fantastic in that one. But, um, uh, Rachel, I am holding my serve on this one where I think it will be one, to, one of the Monterrey clubs that ends up winning the competition. So I guess I'll take whoever wins between Tigres and Monterrey on uh, the 8th, which is tomorrow. Uh, I will pick to win the tournament. Uh, Rachel, any addendums you would like to make? Uh, and I guess most importantly, we both got Messi winning the, gold, the, win, the golden boot, right? I thought you were about to say wooden spoon. Yeah, we're going to go. <laughs> we're going to go with uh, with Messi winning. My pick uh, the last time we talked was Pachuca. They lost in penalties to the Houston Dynamo. I am still riding this Liga Emeki's, uh wave. <sighs> I really don't want to pick now against Nashville SC though. So I will go um and pick against Nashville SC and pick Club America. <laughs> All right then. Let me see. Let me just make sure we didn't have another thing. Oh, not least cup related, Rachel, but um Rachel, the reports coming out that MLS is potentially pursuing either a short term or a long term play for Kylian Mbappe. And I just want to acknowledge the ridiculousness of what it would be, the absurdity in that I don't think it's going to happen and how absurd it would be if it were to happen that Mbappe is leaving PSG for Major League Soccer. Let's start off with the fact, Rachel, that his buyout clause is in the 300s of millions of dollars. So to the extent that the fans of MLS poverty franchises are upset at the reports of there being Every single MLS team is contributing financially to bring Messi in. I can't imagine, Rachel, who's paying that transfer fee? Who Who is directly, whose name is on the check, whose money is being used for that in order to get Kylian Mbappe? And then who's actually getting Mbappe? And then what's his salary if Messi's compensation is, you know, in the tens of millions and shattering the previous record as far as the total compensation package for an MLS player. I don't think this is happening. I don't think MLS could pay 
if Mbappe is going anywhere, Rachel, it's an upgrade on what he has as PSG, which let's be real, it's Real Madrid, and I'm not sure anybody else there at that point, in which case he's going to a better competitive advantage. And I cannot see an option where MLS is able or willing to outbid Saudi Arabia, both in the transfer fee and then in terms of the total package in order to retain the player. And let's be real, like like Mbappe in one game for either of these leagues would be transcendent, as we've seen with the Messi circus and everything. So I don't see this happening, Rachel. Uh, if that means that one of Don Garber's lackeys is, you know, putting in some feelers to try and get in touch with Mbappe's representation in the same way that the LA Galaxy collectively took like four years to court uh Zlatan Ibrahimovic to them and was absolutely worth it in the long run with that long of a play I would be totally okay with right now them I, I would be totally okay with MLS signing a pre-contract for 36 year old Kylian Mbappe after the 2032 euros in order to bring him to MLS and I don't even care which team we're allocating him to at that point you know he can go to Indy 11 after Indy joins the league in MLS expansion as far as I'm concerned but I just I don't see this happening I think this is postulating Rachel uh this would break soccer and I don't think I don't see it happening but Rachel I'm done talking what do you think um, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, he's not going anywhere that isn't Real Madrid or at least somewhere that says, um, that says, Hey, play for us for a year and then go to Real Madrid. Um, it's the never ending saga right now in, in the men's soccer world. Where's Kylian Mbappe going to be playing this season? I don't even think people care anymore about like where Harry Kane's going to be playing this season. Um, or... <laughs> For us, uh, Matt Alexander Mitrovic. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, that's MLS silly season though. And that's just the way that the cookie crumbles around these parts. Yeah. Okay. I think that does it for us, Rachel. My brain's mush at this point. And I want to see what could I throw a New England Revolution do in the final 15 minutes they have. So let's get out of here. Uh, Rachel, any last words that you have? Well, I'm going to tell our lovely listeners about. Icarus FC. Are y'all tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Are you looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams and affordable price with the motto, any design you want. Seriously, let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Uh, no last words for me, just Viva España, um, go CONCACAF. Um, but also I want to see Linda Casado score another banger. So um, give me more bangers at the World Cup. Rachel, I want to thank our other scarf supplier. Um, oh, excuse me, I want to thank our other sponsor, uh, Roughneck Scarves. They are an official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, NWSL, and US Soccer merchandise. Get your custom scarves for your group, team, or office at roughneckscarves.com. Rachel, I have to imagine there's some discounts going on for some uh, US Soccer Women's World Cup merchandise right now. So head on over for that. Last word from me, Rachel. Um, obviously, the Premier League kicks off this weekend. I am complete. I'm burnout on on the footy rachel we did not have a proper mls offseason with the way that the winter world cup ended up working i have had to triage the midst of this summer between gold cup nations league women's world cup and league cup in terms of what i'm watching honestly rachel um i'll cover the rapids games that i need to cover i'll watch maybe one marquee mls game that i can watch that does not conflict with my coverage of the rapids i think i'll watch inner miami and the other like huge matchups of the round each round for the rest of league cup 
I'll watch the I'll watch Messi in the Open Cup. I'll watch the Open Cup final probably no matter what at this point. But like as soon as the Rapids get it uh, mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, Rachel, I'm not sure I'm watching the wonky playoff format that we're going to have. Like I'll catch you on decision day and then I'll catch you for MLS Cup and that might be it. And certainly day after MLS Cup, Rachel, you will not hear from me. We are not podcasting after we put a bow on that particular MLS season. Do not talk to me for a month. I don't want to go through that or anything. I'm not even excited about the Premier League season, Rachel. But so I guess um, the one prediction that I'll have that's uh, related to that is I do think Fulham end up, st- Fulham end up staying up. Mitro staying. We already know that Marco Silva staying, so we've avoided that. There's been some Saudi interest in Willian. They can have him for the right price. That would be way more than we were going to get. And then we just cash in and buy a winger who is as good, if not younger, and certainly a player who would be on lower wage at this point. So Rachel, I'm just I'm really hoping that Fulham can just get a win against Everton and then a draw between Arsenal and Brentford to start off the month of August. So then it's like, okay, four points. We're good. It's a good enough start to where I feel comfortable that. Um, that Fulham is going to stay up. And in that regard, Rachel, I don't have to be plugged into the Premier League for six months as I just like consistently have a panic attack waiting for them to finally clinch and secure safety. I did not fully allow myself to relax until Minor Solomon's goal to win 1-0 at Brighton absolute smash and grab this past January. I think I'm in a much better place in terms of my fandom, in terms of my expectations, in terms of my willingness to accept and have joy and everything. But Rachel, I want that earlier just so I don't have to be looking at the table every other day, seeing what everybody else is doing, getting the fo- the fought mob notifications on other people in the relegation zone and everything. I'm just totally footied out on this point. I want to cover the teams I need to cover. I want to watch the games I want to watch. I want to watch my teams and don't bother me otherwise. Um, on that note, listeners, I want to thank you for joining us. You can follow us on all the socials at LastWordSC. Check out all of our content on LastWordOnSports.com. Rate, review, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, just search LWS Radio or Last Word on Sports. You'll find us and a bunch of other great content. Um, listeners, I'm not sure when we're going to see you. If Messi scores five goals in the in the quarterfinals, it'll be sooner rather than later. But uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, enjoy the rest of the Women's World Cup. Enjoy the rest of the League's Cup. And thank you for listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio.